Last week we looked in the book of Luke and we were in chapter 4. And verses 1 to 13 where the Lord Jesus himself was tempted by Satan. And the Lord has really laid it on my heart that I stop for this week and dive away from the passage in Luke and just look at the subject of temptation because it is such a realistic thing for us today, isn't it? Or is it just me? And it's so important in today's life, as it has been, that we recognize temptation when it comes across our way because that's the first part of the battle. You don't recognize it, you don't know that you're fighting anything. And secondly, that we know how to overcome Satan's lies that he puts in front of us. Because there's a way of doing it. You don't just resist Satan by standing strong in yourself. God has given us a way. And so we're going to be looking at this topic this morning, and that's why I've called it Temptation is an Invitation. Because temptation in itself is not wrong. It's how we respond to that temptation. We either accept it or we reject it. Two books are really found invaluable. They are like gold nuggets to me, these two books. are This book by Jerry Bridges called Respectable Sins. And it's a book that speaks about confronting the sins we tolerate in our lives because we think that they're too small. God won't mind. And the other book is an old Puritan paperback called Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices. Now, if you can handle a little bit of old English, it's not that old, actually. But it is full of gold because we can only cover a few of these temptations this morning. And Thomas Brooks in his little book doesn't just, he doesn't cover all Satan's tricks, but he, he covers quite a few of them and he speaks very directly from God's word on how we are to stand against Satan. And so if you want to find out more about those books, come and see me afterwards and I'll speak to you about them. But as we start this morning, I really just want to stop right here and to pray that the Lord would guard us and that the Lord would guide us and give us open and soft hearts before him. Because there are two reactions to what we're going to speak about this morning. You will either accept what is being said, or your heart will be turned to stone and it will go over your head. And so let's stop right here and ask the Lord for him to work. Lord Jesus, we come before your word today, we open your word, and in your word we find pearls of wisdom that you, the living God, have given to us. And you've told us how we can stand against Satan, how we can recognize these temptations that come against us and how we can be victorious in you. And so, Lord, we pray, I pray for every single person here, including my own heart, that you will make us soft to your word, that we won't hear your word and then say, yes, I heard it, but, but that we will accept your word and with your Spirit's help, have our hearts and our lives changed. Speak to us, we pray. Amen. Someone once said, temptations will knock at your door. Don't ask them to stay for dinner. 
You see, a temptation will come across your way and there's a decision that you have to make. Do I accept what's coming across my way or do I reject it? And so I need to put a framework around what we're going to say this morning. And I'd like you to turn to a few passages with me. When you see a little red asterisk there, you can turn to that passage in advance because we'll get to it. So 1 Corinthians chapter 10, let's look at what it says to us. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. This is imperative that you grasp what this is saying this morning when it comes to temptations. Because we have victory in Christ. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation. Let's go back again and start with that two-letter word. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. So you're not on your own. There are other people going through the same types of things. Don't believe Satan when he says, it's only you. There are many others. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. Look at this. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. And that's why I put that little picture in there of that open door. God has provided a way for us to escape from every single temptation that comes across our way. It is up to us whether we open the door or keep the door closed. So that's the framework around what we are saying this morning. The second thing is a warning for us before we get into this. No one will go to hell because of Satan. But everyone who goes to hell will go because of their own sin. You cannot stand before the Lord one day and say, Satan made me do it. God won't accept that. You will join him. That's a warning to us. You see, inside every single one of us, if you're an unbeliever, there is sin in you. You are made up of sin. And it wells up inside you at any opportunity and it takes over your life. And as believers, even though we've been saved by grace, God has done an amazing work in us. And he takes away our sins. But when we sin from there on, we've got to deal with that sin because it's always present in us if we don't. It will well up from inside of us. And so we've got, we've got an enemy outside the camp and inside the camp. And so don't ever say, Satan made me do it. Satan brought the temptation across your way, but you decided to fall for it or reject it. Alright? So we got those two premises this morning around what we're saying. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 13 and Some of these slides you'll see this morning are quite busy. I know I shouldn't do that as a teacher, but what I want to do is I want to put God's Word in your face this morning. And I'm asking you, believe it this morning. Believe what God says in His Word. Look at what He says about temptation. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day And having done everything, to stand firm. Now, God saves us by grace. 
Yes, 100%. But do we have a responsibility as human beings before him? Yes, 100%. And here it is, you see. God does the work of grace in us, but look what he says now. He says, now take up the full armor that I've provided you. Take it up. Put it on. Put on those shoes. Put on the belt. Put on the helmet. There's something we've got to do. We've got to obey. We've got to take up this full armor of God. Why? So that you will be able to resist in the evil day. You see, a soldier going into battle with no armor is very soon either killed or injured. God has given us armor. Why don't we put it on? There is something that we have to do. There's a human responsibility. And having done everything, and note that word everything, having done everything according to God's word that he tells us to do, then we stand firm. And we stand firm not because we got armor on then, we stand firm in God's promises and what he will do. Do you get the difference? We cannot stand on our own in our armor, but when we are obedient to God and when we've done everything according to his word, then we can stand firm before the Lord and he will do the rest. And we can be confident in that. He's told us he will. There it is. We've just looked at those verses. So what I'm going to do this morning is, and this might seem like revision for some of you, is we're going to look at six only ways that Satan tempts us. And these might seem very simple to you, but I want to ask you honestly this morning, are these lies present in your life? even though you think, I've heard this before. Because that's how it gets in the door. You've heard this before, haven't you? All right, well then go ahead. So we're going to be looking at six ways that Satan tempts. Now he tempts us in many, many, many ways. But we haven't got time for that, and you wouldn't endure that long a sermon. And so we are going to look at six this morning. And the first one is this one. It looks good, so take it. And that can come in various forms. You see, what Satan does is he presents a bait, but inside that bait is a hook. Those of you who are fishermen, and I know there are plenty of us here, you know how that works. If you want to catch a fish, right, you don't put a piece of toffee on a hook and chuck it in the water. Why? Because fish don't eat toffee. It's not going to go for that. So that doesn't make sense. You put something on that as a bait that the fish will definitely want. And so you put on another bit of fish. In my case, I use pork. It works really well. It's a secret there. I'll let it out. But fish go for what they really see that they want. That's the secret of bait. But inside, unless you just want to put bait over the side and feed fish, as some of us do, you put a hook because there's purpose in this, you see. You put a bait out there It's got a hook inside, and so when the fish grabs onto that bait, the hook starts doing its work. And you can bring in that fish, and that's the good fun. You see, Satan uses the same strategy when he says to you, it looks good, so take it. It might look very good to you. Excellent, in fact. How have I been through my whole life and I haven't seen this thing? That's how good it would be. But inside is a hook. And Satan will use that hook. How has he done that in the past? Let's look in Scripture. Genesis chapter 3. You're not sure where that is? Right back, first book, Old Testament. Genesis chapter 3, 
verses 1 to 5. Adam and Eve. See if you can recognize the bait and then we'll see the hook. Genesis chapter 3 verses 1 to 5. I'm going to read that. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beasts of the field that the Lord had made. He said to the woman, here's the bait coming in the water. Did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, you see she's nibbling like a fish does, rod does this. We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And then the Satan makes his bait a bit more attractive. He says, And the serpent said to the woman, You shall not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing evil and good, or good and evil. There's the big bait now. Because Eve, of course, she wants to be like God. And yes, I would like to know good and evil. So there's the bait hanging in front of Eve. And what does she do? Verses 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was the light to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, here the fish bites. She took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave to her husband and he bit on that hook who ate with her. And then the eyes of both of them were opened. There's the hook. Do you see it? And they knew that they were naked. Now, the nakedness was not so much. They knew that they had done wrong. The hook was in the mouth. They couldn't get it out, you see. Sometimes Satan uses very, very bright colors to attract us. He did with David, you know. You know that when, in 2 Samuel 11, when David was standing in his palace looking down and he saw that woman bathing. It could have been a leprous woman with half her limbs missing. But that's not what was provided there. It, the Bible says she was a beautiful woman. And David saw the bright colors. And he bit into that bait. But it had a massive hook in it. You see what Satan does? It looks good. Take it. You see, Scripture teaches us we are to keep very far away from sin. We aren't even to nibble on that bait. We are to recognize it for what it is and stay away. We're not even to play with it. And there are many Christians today who are playing around with bait that has been put in front of them. Temptations come across their way and they think, I'll just see what this is about. I can withdraw any time I want to, can't I? I'm strong. Romans 12 verse 9 says this, it says, look at the strength of this word, abhor what is evil. That's a very strong word, we don't use it much anymore today. It means hate, with horror, what is evil. Do you see what we have to do with evil? We have to hate it. And then the juxtaposition to that, what are we to do? We have to hold fast to what is good. We have to clutch it as if, if, if we let this go, we're going to die. We're going to hold on to this, hold on to what is good, says Scripture to us. What is your life like when it comes to evil? Do you play around with evil? 
Are you tempted to go for these temptations just to see what they like? You see, there's another teaching that says sin is a bitter sweet. And initially it might taste good, but then that hook will come in. Zophar, now you might never have heard of Zophar. Well, Zophar is found in the book of Job. And Zophar gives his little bit of insight into what this looks like when people play with bait. And I want you to go there with me. And you might recognize something in your own life as you read these words. Job chapter 20, verses 12 to 14. Look what he says. Job 20, verse 12. Though evil is sweet in his mouth, though he hides it under his tongue, though he's loath to let it go, do you see there? And holds it in his mouth, yet his food is turned in his stomach. It is the venom of cobras within him. Do you see what happens to that sweet? It turns to poison. And so I want to bring practical application here, and I want to speak to the teenagers specifically, but men and women, listen to me as well, because we all come across this. You meet this fantastic guy, girls, and girls, you meet this beautiful woman. You think the earth is standing still when you see her. You've never seen anything like this. I seem to have hit the nerve somewhere. And you know what happens... You know what happens very soon after you've started seeing this person, a temptation will come across your way. Why don't you go out with them? Try and see if they're interested. You see, and as a Christian, you've got a question to ask if you want to do good before the Lord. Is this person I'm even interested in, are they a believer or not? It doesn't matter how world-stopping their beauty or their handsomeness is. Are they a Christian? Yes or no? There's the first temptation, the first question that comes your way. And girls, when you feel the world doing this around you, you've still got to answer that question. Because if they're not a Christian, and you are, you walk away from that bait and you don't even nibble. Don't even ask their telephone. Don't even ask your friend to find out what their telephone number is. Don't nibble on the bait. Guys, it doesn't matter how beautiful she is. Walk away. The sweetness will last for a short while and the hook will come into you. This is a temptation. Men, those flirtings at work. I've been in a corporate environment. I've seen it. Don't even be tempted by that sweetness. You find your sweetness at home. There is no bait there for you. That is good food. Don't be tempted. Walk away. Don't even start the flirting process. You're nibbling at that bait. You see, we've got to watch out for that danger from within, as I spoke earlier. James chapter 1 verse 14. Look at God's word. Look what God's word says to you and I this morning. It says, but each person is tempted when he or she is lured and enticed by Satan. No, by his own desires. It's inside you already. And then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. Do you see there's a process happening here? 
And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. That's where you'll end up. So girls and guys, if you start going out with that guy or a girl who's not a believer, and you think, I won't listen to God's word, this is too good for me, that's where you'll end up, death. God's word has said so, not me. I'm not trying to spoil your fun. God has told us how to live. And unfortunately today, we as believers cut so many corners because we think God will be okay with it. He won't. This is the reality. The second lie that comes across our way is this one. And you might have come across this one from Satan. Do it just this once. You know what I'm talking about. You sit in front of that internet, maybe late at night, no one else in the home, and the temptation comes across your way. And you don't have to be an adult male or a female to go through this temptation. You can be a young boy or a girl, and you can still go through this temptation. Just one little glance. That'll be alright for me. I can put it off. I can go to something else. And so you highlight another part of the screen in case someone walks in. Have a quick glance and then out of it. You see that bait? Or maybe you're at work and you're handling money or finances and that temptation comes across your way. I was reading it again this week in an article in the paper. I'll just, I, I, I need money. We're short. And so I'll just borrow and I'll pay it back next week. As soon as my pay comes in, I'll pay it back. No one will know. Just this once. Unfortunately, it doesn't stop there. Or maybe just for once you think you'll stretch the truth because it suits you in a specific scenario. It would be good for you to stretch the truth because you'll gain something out of it. Just this once. One lie leads to another lie and another lie leads to death. You see, what happened to Achan back in the Old Testament? Joshua chapter 7. God had given the the Israelites very strict instructions when they attacked the city of Ai. You are to bury, you are to not keep anything for yourself. Animals, spoils, nothing is to be kept for yourself. And what did Achan do? He found some bars of silver, some beautiful cloaks and material, and he thought, oh, no one's going to miss this. And he buried it under his tent in the ground. And the city of Ai was attacked and the Israelites lost. And God said, there is sin in your camp, Joshua. There is sin in your camp. Joshua, with God's guidance, rooted out Achan. And there was a major consequence, you know. Because Israel itself, the nation, they lost many lives. So it wasn't just Achan and his family, but Achan and his family, they were stoned to death. The whole family. And what God was saying was, I won't take sin in front of me. Not even this, just this once one. I won't. God is a holy God, you see. And Satan will never suggest good to you and I. Don't you ever believe Satan when he says, this is not so bad. You see, Satan will never suggest good. Why? This is what Jesus said about Satan. And Jesus knows what he's talking about. This is what Jesus said. John chapter 8, 44. He, that is Satan, was a murderer from the beginning and he has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. 
So if there's no truth in him, how can he tell you truth? He will just lie to you. That's what he'll do. And so we need to ask for God's protection. Psalm 19 verse 13 says, Lord, keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins, those little sins that I think you won't mind. Lord, keep me back from those. Protect me even from those seemingly small ones. You see, the hymn writer wrote it so well, and I'm sure many of you know this hymn. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. The Apostle Paul did. Prone to leave the God I love. You love the Lord Jesus Christ, but you find this battle in you continually. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. We are living for the world to come. This is but a short little existence, and then we're going to live for eternity. Why would you want to lose eternity for the sake of this little bit of life and that bit of temptation put before you? Be careful. Just this once. Run away. Maybe you've come across this one. I'm a guy who tends to have a heavy foot when I drive. And I've really got to wrestle. Because it's one of these. It's only a small sin. It's only 60 kilometers, Lord. I know it's 50, but it's so slow. You see, what do we do when we say there's small sin and big sin? We are excusing our sin, that's basically what we're doing, and we are lessening sin. And before the Lord, there is no lessening of sin. Sin is sin. It doesn't matter if it's big or small. Even those respectable ones, those ones we think He won't mind, those little white lies, Lord. You see, what did Samson do? He thought he could play a game with lying. And what caught up with him in the end? The big sin, the small sin turning to big sin. The old African proverb, little leopards turning to big leopards. And big leopards bite. And their biting kills. This is what Satan will say to you. So you've just got a little bit of pride in, your, in you? Don't worry. It's only a little bit. You can handle it. Or maybe... There's worldliness in you. Oh, go for these things around you in life. Forget about eternity to come. Settle in. Make yourself at home in this world. Or maybe that impatience that's in your and my life. He says to us, don't worry with it. You can handle it, can't you? It only happens every now and then, doesn't it? It's not so bad. He says, if we do these things, we will live. Well, he's the father of lies, you see. Men may say it's small, but God's judgment remains large. God's judgment doesn't, isn't toned down because it's a small sin. You don't get small judgments and large judgments. Judgment is judgment before the Lord. The wages of sin, and I don't see any exclusion clauses there, the wages of sin is death. Sin is sin to the Lord. And the most danger is from those small ones, those ones you think. God won't notice. First Corinthians 5 verse 6 says, A little leaven leavens the whole lump. You see, if you allow that little small weeny little sin to stay in your life, what is the nature of sin? Sin tends to stay the same in us? No. Sin tends to grow. And then it gets a little bit bigger. And it starts to affect things around you. 
and inside you. And then it gets a little bit bigger and it starts to take over in your life. And before you know it, it is the be-all and end-all of your life. That little sin that started small, you see, it grows in us. It leavens the whole lump. And here's something else to think about. Even the smallest little sin that you can think of in your life cost the lifeblood of Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus died for all sin in you. If you come to Him with it. He didn't just die for the major ones. Jesus didn't die just, just die for murderers. He also died for those people who tell little white lies. Because sin is sin to Him. Here's a fourth lie that Satan might bring across your path. Sin now, repent later. Like the hen in the cookie jar. It looks so good, I'll eat it now. You see, this is the tact he'll take with you. He'll say, confession's easy. So what's the big deal? Sin now and just say you're sorry later. Don't you find your children doing that sometimes? Oh, I'm sorry, mum. And then five minutes later they're doing it again. Oh, I'm sorry, mum. You see, it's only confession. It's only a lip thing. And Satan will say to you, God is a God of mercy, isn't he? And so, sin and just ask him for mercy. Have you come across that one in your life? Have you ever been tempted by that? I have. You see, repentance, we need to understand, needs more than just our power to ask for forgiveness. Jeremiah 31.18 says this, Turn thou me, and I will be turned. You see, if God doesn't turn us from our sin, we will not be turned. And how are we turned from our sin? By coming to Him with a genuine heart and saying, Lord, I'm sorry for my sin. I don't want to do this, Lord, but I seem to have no strength. I keep on sinning. You see, without God's input, we cannot truly repent because our hearts are still wrong. And it all remains on our lips. And that's why people can so often go to a confessional and just confess their sins and then carry on living sinful lives And every once a month come back and come to confessional and confess some more sins and carry on living their lives. It's this lie. Sin now. Repent later. See, repentance, if it is genuine, changes the whole man and woman. Because it changes the heart and you will no longer want to sin. If you've come in genuine repentance before the Lord, it will cause you sorrow when you want to sin again. Or when you have sinned again. And you will turn to God. And you will perform deeds in keeping with repentance. You see, it won't just be words in your mouth. If you are genuinely forgiven by the Lord, if you've come in genuine repentance before the Lord, it will show in the way you live afterwards. You will not want to do those things you did do. It will show in your deeds. By their fruit, will you recognize them? And when we go and we use this and we fall for this sin, this temptation of sin now, repent later, what we are doing is what Jesus was tempted to do, as we saw last week. This attitude makes misuse of our relationship with God. It says, I know God loves me, but I will continue to sin. And I will ask Him to forgive me because He loves me, doesn't He? It's misusing our relationship. How would you feel if your children kept doing that to you over and over again? Mum, I know you don't like this, but I like doing it, and so I'm going to do it. And mum, when I do, I'm just going to come and ask you to forgive me again. 
You won't. You will, won't you? You love me. You know how that works? It doesn't go down. Well, why should it with the Lord? And yet we do it. Romans chapter 2 verse 4 says, Do you presume on the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? You see, God is gracious to you, to you and I, because He wants us to repent before Him. His grace should lead to repentance. But does it? There's a fifth temptation. And I know many of us have come across this one. When you look around you, says Satan, you see all those people around you? They're worse than you. And yet they're getting away with what they're doing. So why shouldn't you as a believer? Have you ever been tempted in that way? You look around you and you look across the fence and these unbelievers are riding Porsches and they're riding all kinds of big flash cars. They seem to have holiday houses on every island. And you ask yourself, but Lord, why do I have to struggle like this? Aren't I the one that's supposed to be glorifying your name? Don't you want to bless me in the same way, Lord? You see, we're looking across and we're saying, they're worse than me. How come they're getting away with all this? Maybe I should too. Look at the proud Pharisee's prayer, Luke chapter 18, verse 11. Start with his attitude. God, I thank you that I am not like other men. Can you see him? They're extortioners, they're unjust, they're adulterers, or even like this filthy little tax collector here. And they probably were those people around. But what was wrong with his attitude, you see? He had an attitude of pride, and pride made him blind to his own sin. Jeremiah came across this thought in the Old Testament. Look at what he says. A very, a very legitimate question. He says, Lord, why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all who are treacherous thrive? You are near in their mouth. What does he mean by that? Are they praising the Lord? No, they're probably using God's name as a swear word. You are near in their mouth, or it's not in their heart at all. They just, they might say, yeah, we, we respect Jehovah, but they don't live it. And you are far from their hearts, you see. This was a bit of wisdom I found, which I really thought was really good. To be quick-sighted abroad and blind at home proves a man a hypocrite. You see, so often we look across the fence and we see these people doing all these evil things. Man, Lord, they are evil. Meanwhile, back at home, how right is my life before the Lord? And then I dare to say to the Lord, Lord, why don't you bless me more when they seem to be being blessed? You see, as believers, we need to compare ourselves not with others across the fence, We need to compare ourselves and the way we live with God's word. Psalm 119 verse 9. Teenagers, look look at this. How can a young man and lady, how can a young man keep his way pure? How do we do this? By guarding it according to your word. You see, I need to constantly compare my life with God's word. God says I must be patient. Am I patient? God says I must be long-suffering. God says, I must be hospitable. Am I hospitable? 
Do you see how we compare? And by comparing ourselves all the time with God's word, we keep a check on our lives and the direction is right. Those of you who know anything about aviation, when you fly, you've got a radio directional beacon. And all the time while you're flying, you put in a specific signal that you want, and all the time while you're flying, it will check where you are against that signal. And if you veer off your course, it will let you know you're off signal, you need to come back on track again, and then you carry on flying until you reach your destination. Now, very much the same with God's Word. If we constantly check God's Word as our reference, we will not go wrong. But when we keep constantly looking at people across the fence, and we notice how they seem to be blessed, and we aren't, and we've taken our eyes off God's Word, and we need to go back to the Lord again and say, Lord, you provide for every single need I have. You are the source of every single thing I have. I don't have to look across the fence. I know you will give me what I need in due time. And that's where we put our trust, you see. Don't believe Satan by looking at other people and comparing yourself. You see, without repentance, my sin is as great as theirs. Sin is sin to the Lord. doesn't matter if I'm a believer and they're not a believer. Sin is sin to the Lord. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And you know about that unbeliever across the fence who's doing so well? Well, this is what the scripture says about him or her. Proverbs 16 verses 4 and 5. The Lord has made, it, has made everything for its purpose. Look at this. Even the wicked for the day of trouble. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an ab- abomination to the Lord. Be assured, says Almighty God Himself, He will not go unpunished. So you might not see them getting their just deserve on this earth, but in the world to come, there's something terrible waiting. God will be just. It's not up to us. It's up to the Lord. So don't believe this lie. And then the last one I want to look at is this one. It's partly true, so believe it and get on with your life. You see, half a truth plus half a truth, is that a whole truth? No, it's a lie. Because a half truth is already a lie. Remember Ananias and Sapphira back in Book of Acts? They had this property, and they thought, well, all these believers are getting together, and they're selling their property, and we're all sharing everything around, so we will also do the same. Nothing wrong with that. And so they sold their property. And then they came to the elders of the church and they said, here's the money for the property, all of it. And that's where they were lying, you see, half-truth. And what happened to Ananias and Sapphira because of that half-lie? They dropped dead. Because God wanted to get a message around, not just to the Christians, but to the community around those Christians, right at the start of the church. I will not tolerate sin before me. You see, they thought they were doing good, and they were, but they shouldn't have lied about it. They could have just said to the, to the, to the leaders of the church, look, we've sold our property, we want to give you half, and then give half. That would have been fine. But they lied before the Lord, you see. A half-truth is a whole lie. Remember that one. If you're tempted on your tax forms, a half-truth is a whole lie. When you speak to that traffic officer, even they've got instruments now, they can measure how fast you've gone. They don't ask you how fast you've gone. A half-truth 
is a whole lie. When you are in an uncomfortable situation with your children and they ask you questions, don't half tell them the truth. Tell them the whole truth. Don't say anything at all about it. And untruth is truth untold. There's another aspect of this. If you only tell someone a part truth and you keep information back because it might not suit your purposes for that situation, then you've lied. Or if you just mistell something, that's just plain lying anyway. John chapter 8 verse 44 says this, Satan is the father of lies. We've looked at the earlier part of that verse. There is no good in him. And then that verse carries on. He is the father of lies. Don't believe Satan, says the Lord Jesus. Because it will bring consequences. You see, when we believe error, when we believe lies, when we tell lies, there are consequences. And it doesn't matter how small that lie is. A a quarter lie is still a lie. It has consequences. These are the consequences. 1 Timothy 4.1 Now, the, the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits. You see where it comes in? And teaching of demons. And you know that applies to you and I in the church too? You go to conferences, and they might be Christian conferences. You need to evaluate every single thing you hear there today because of this warning. Because people will come in and they will tell half-truths, and it will sound all spiritual and Christian, but if you compare it with God's Word, you'll see, that's not quite true. Be aware, because you could be misled. I say no more about conferences. I've just been to one. Check what you hear against the word. Check. Be good, good Bereans. When we stand up here at the front and preach, it doesn't matter who it is, check what we are saying against the word. We are human too, like you. We sit in the pew. Check against God's word. Psalm 119 verse 11 says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. You see, how do we check against the word? By bringing it inside of us, so that when situations come across our way, something inside of us, the Word of God says, hang on, that's not what the truth is. But if we don't know the truth, how are we going to know when temptation comes across our way, you see? When untruth comes across our way. We need to take in the truth and thereby recognize the error. First Timothy 4.16 says this, this is the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy in the church, giving him a word of inspiration and encouragement, but also warning. And this is one I've taken to heart myself. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. What you teach. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. And that is you too today. But keep a check on yourself by God's word. Turn with me, if you would, to Psalm 19. We've got two scripture references, and then we close for today. Psalm 19, verses 7 to 14. These are such encouraging words. Psalm 19, verses 7 to 14. That book you are turning your pages in, that's what we're speaking about now. The law of the Lord. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Are you feeling jaded and down? The law of the Lord will revive your soul. Read it. Take it in. Mull on it. 
The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. You want to learn things in life and about how to live life? The law of the Lord. Take it in. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure. It enlightens the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean. It endures forever. The rules of the Lord are true, and they are righteous altogether, every single one of them. They are more to be desired than gold. Yes, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. And in keeping them, there is great reward. You see, we are warned by God's word, but at the same time, when we keep God's word, there is a reward that comes for us. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults, Lord. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. And dominion started with one. And then they came on. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Beautiful words, aren't they? Do we take God's word to heart? Do we immerse ourselves in God's word? It is so important if we want to recognize what Satan is doing around us and to us. And then lastly, I want to leave you with these encouraging words. And this is the responsibility side now. There's something for us to do, the verb part of this whole sermon. We need to put on things. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 13 to 18. Please look that up with me as well. Ephesians 6, verses 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand. Now, what are we to put on? Here he goes. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. Here it is. The belt of truth. And having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Whose righteousness? Christ's righteousness. Not yours. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Are you ready to serve your Lord by being obedient in your life? We saw that last week. Serve Him by your obedience first. And in all circumstances, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. You see, Satan cannot get through God's word if you use it properly. And with God's help, he cannot. They will ex- his flames, flaming darts will be extinguished. In verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Here's some more armor, by the way, verse 18. Sometimes we stop there. Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. Do you pray for your own protection? Do you pray for the protection of your children from Satan's attacks? Do you pray for the protection of the leaders of this church from spiritual attack? We need prayer, you see. 
Just glance down at verse 10 for me, please. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the strength of His might. You see, as I said right at the beginning, when we've done everything, we've put on all these bits of armor, then we stand firm. But we are not standing in our own strength. We are standing strong in the Lord and in His strength. We cannot endure against Satan without the Lord. It doesn't matter how big you are. You cannot stand against Satan on your own. It doesn't matter how spiritual you are. You cannot stand against Satan on your own. You need to stand against him in the strength of the Lord. We're going to shortly come before the Lord's table. Just look at those areas. I've given you a little reminder what those little pictures were. The bait and the hook. Just this once. Small sins, big sins. Sin now, repent later. Those people are worse than me. And half-truths. If there are any of these in your life, when you take of the bread and drink of that cup, remember Jesus Christ and what He's done for you. And then do business with it. This morning, do business with the Lord. And if you need to come afterwards and pray with us as elders, then do that. If you need to go home and pray with your wife or your husband or your children, then go and do that. But do it today. Obey God quickly. And see how the Lord will use you. And see how the Lord will protect you. Because Satan won't stand a chance then. You will recognize those temptations as soon as they come by you. And you will be able to stand strong in the Lord. But do business with Him. Be real with Him today. Have a soft heart before Him today. Let's pray. Lord, our Heavenly Father, we're involved in a real war. We're involved in a spiritual battle, Lord. And so many days we get up in the morning and we sense this is a hard day. I don't feel spiritually as strong as I should be. Lord, that is the day when we climb into your word, when we go and take in your truth, when we mull on your truth, when we dare not leave our homes without having filled ourselves with the sustenance of your word and with the truth which will help us to stand strong against Satan. And Lord, that is the day when we pray for your strength. And then we step out of our homes, we get into our cars, and we pray all the way to work. We pray all the way to school that you will give us strength, because then you will, Lord. You will answer our prayer when it comes from a soft heart and an obedient heart. Make us obedient believers before you, Lord. And then this community will take note of us. And they will see Christ shining out of us. Because you are living through us. Because we are obedient. Protect us and use us, we pray. Amen.